Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, A Desert Experience. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 to 36, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Where Faith Fails. When God promises the impossible, that is, something that's impossible from our perspective, well, we need to listen up. If the promise is truly from God and not from our vain imagination, but truly from God, we need to pay attention. See, I'd like to share a story about an experience that caused me some degree of concern. I was then a much younger man and I had caused damage to my knee. My knee had swollen to the size of a large grapefruit and I was in a great deal of pain. And I was told I needed surgery to repair the damage to my knee. And I'd never had surgery before. And all that to say, I was put under a general anesthetic. And it was that experience that, how shall I say it, for a time, until I could work it through, it caused a crisis in my faith. Yeah, it did. I felt the anesthetic entering my arm. And then it felt it traveling into my body. And then amazingly, the next thing I remembered was the nurse waking me up and telling me surgery was over and successful. And I began to think. The time that I was under had simply vanished. It was that for a time when I was under that my consciousness disappeared. What was that that I had experienced? I wondered if it was like death. I mean, how could it be that an anesthetic caused my consciousness to disappear? And if that's what a mere anesthetic was capable of doing, would not death wipe away my consciousness forever? Had I just witnessed evidence that there was nothing awaiting on the other side of the grave, I'd be wiped away and that was it. And that led me to think and to read scripture and other theology texts about this matter of death. What is death? And can the soul or the spirit actually exist if there is no body? You see my dilemma. But that led me to examine the hand of God in my creation, body and soul. How did I come to exist? Is it not because God had willed that I should exist? And had not the God who willed my existence also willed my eternity? And as to how in the intermediate state, until the final resurrection of the bodies of the dead, that God should will that in some fashion that I should experience consciousness when it seemed that there could be none. See, in short, I reasoned, and rightly so, that my consciousness after death was dependent not upon something in my internal makeup, or to put it in another way, in the makeup of my soul, but rather my existence depended on the promise of God that was made through the cross and the resurrection. That's my hope. And it doesn't depend upon my experience on the operating table. It depends on the promise of God. That was my only hope. And that put an ease to my doubting. I use this as an example where our faith may fail. I mean, moment by moment, we're dependent on the promises of God that would not be possible were it not that God is able to call things that don't exist and to make them exist. No Christian has any other hope than that. Our only hope is in God. That's it. Now, we've been following Israel out into the desert, or as the Bible puts it, into the wilderness. It's a hot, unmerciful desert. At first, they run out of water, and the situation becomes a matter of life and death. Once dehydration sets in, death quickly follows, and God saves them. But now their food supplies are exhausted. Their animals can live on those few tufts of plants, but people can't. And then, as we've seen, Israel, rather than being filled with faith, is filled with anger. Why didn't we die in Egypt? At least there, our meat pots were filled with meat, and food was in abundance. 
And then comes the impossible promise. That very evening, meat will be in abundance, and in the morning, bread will come from heaven, so much so that you'll be filled with bread. Then says the Lord, you will know that I am Yahweh your God. That's an impossible promise. Indeed, as we will see, God's promises to feed them with bread every single day as long as they're in the wilderness. And as we know, that length turns out to be 40 years. So for 40 years, they're going to eat the bread of heaven. Don't worry. God's going to do the impossible. And that's where we pick up today. So let's begin to read Exodus 16, verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. Let's take the first phrase. For my part, two options are equally possible. God could have, by a special act of decree, created the quail out of nothing and spoken them into existence. I mean, after all, he's God. All the earth, as well as the universe, is created out of nothing by the word of God. See, that's possible. The other option is that quail that would have been flying over the Red Sea were blown into the desert by a wind. Remember, it's the breath of God's nostrils that had created the Red Sea crossing. God could very easily have sent the wind he controls and sent the quail into them. And by the time the quail got there, they were exhausted and easily captured. But that evening, the impossible happened. Israel ate meat. In ancient times, meat was cooked and eaten immediately upon being slaughtered. That was because there was no refrigeration. It's a hot climate. And so the quail was so abundant and the birds were struggling in exhaustion to lift from the ground, you know, they were easily caught. Millions of birds all butchered that night. No more talk about the good old days in Egypt when their pots were full of meat. That never happened. But this has happened. God has created a miracle and they were eating meat. Now, the latter half of verse 13 says that in the morning, after Israel had eaten a meal of a lifetime the night before, then in the morning dew lay upon the ground. So let's keep reading. Exodus 16, 14, and 15. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So the dew evaporates in the morning sun, and what's left could be mistaken for frost on the ground. Now, that's not impossible in a desert, for as anyone who has ever spent any time in a desert knows, temperature fluctuations can be extreme from freezing temperatures at night to unbearable heat in the daytime. But there's no frost after the morning dew appears. And as they look, it's not frost at all. It's a flake-like thing. You know, that means, at least in my mind, it's, it's not like flakes of snow, individual flakes, but it's more like a sheet. It's flaky like a pie crust, perhaps. But no one has ever seen it before, and so they ask, what is it? And the Hebrew word for what is it is manhu. Yeah, that's the word for manna. That's where it comes from. It means, what is it? I mean, what in the world are we looking at? We ate meat the night before, and today we see something covering the ground, and we want to know what this strange thing is. And Moses answers them, it's the bread that Yahweh has given you to eat. God has caused bread to cover the desert floor and it's all for you. Go back to Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Yeah, it's heavenly bread. It's bread rained down from on high. There's so much bread out there. Not one person in the two million community has to worry about getting enough. It's like going to the best bread store in the world, and everyone in your city has also been told you can go, and it's all for free, and you'll never run out. Exodus 16, 16 to 20. This is what the Lord has commanded. 
Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. See, you might wonder that each one would have known exactly how much bread they needed for the members of their tent. But ask anyone who cares for their own household what an appropriate amount of food for their household is, and they're going to tell you. But the point here is clearly that they're only to gather as much as was appropriate for their household for one day. Don't hoard as if the God who miraculously brought you this bread today can't continue to do the very same thing tomorrow. Just eat what you need today. That's the principle. Now, Paul mentions that principle in 2 Corinthians when he's called the Corinthian church to become involved in caring for the needs you know, of the hard-pressed Christians in the city of Jerusalem. You know, He says, look, other churches have already started to give generously to this project. But I'm looking for there to be equity in giving between all the churches that are involved. And then he uses a principle. He sees it in the principle of the manna. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 15, he says, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That is, in both giving and in receiving, don't hoard. Share equally, knowing that God will care for you. You can afford to be generous because you have a God who feeds you. That's the manna principle. Take the provision that God has given you for today. And then tomorrow, await for God to take care of you again. The manna principle, awaiting bread from heaven, believing that God will care for you. Have you ever been too timid to share the good news of Jesus Christ? It's a common concern and a very old obstacle. The reasons for our caution and reticence are varied. We don't want to face a negative response, or we don't know how to answer people's questions or rebuttals. Our fear can become so large it swallows our voice. We all need help in speaking our faith. Well, this month, Back to the Bible Canada offers a free book by Matt Smethurst called Before You Share Your Faith. It's not about an evangelism method. It speaks to our motives and our fears. It it addresses our concerns and offers practical help. So to request your free copy, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let it encourage you to share the good news of Jesus. And please, consider offering a financial gift to support the ministry this month. Many Christians wonder how to apply the manna principle practically. Remember, the manna principle is summed up in the words of Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then if we await God to supply our needs, Should God's people do what financial planners tell us to do? 
you know, have enough money available and saved up so that in the case of an emergency, you've got something you can draw on. Is that good counsel? And then what about the counsel to save up enough for retirement so that when you're no longer able to work, you've got something? I mean, does the MANA principle cancel that counsel out? Now, remember, when answering those kinds of questions, you know, that we consult everything that the Scripture says about these matters about money. I mean, one principle applied in the absence of the full counsel of God can lead to wrong conclusions. So, consider Proverbs 21, verse 20. It says, Precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Translation, Fools spend everything they have every day, but a wise man is careful to save and careful to manage his resources. Or how about Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8? Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Translation, learn a little bit of wisdom. Make sure that when the harvest is past and when the lean years come, that you have enough left over to care for your needs. Again, don't be a fool and think it's always going to be harvest time because it won't. And that seems like good wisdom. But doesn't that seem to contradict the manna principle? Well, no, it doesn't. But let's put it into perspective, shall we? Don't save more for retirement than you need. Don't save for retirement at the expense of giving faithfully and sacrificially to God and to ministry. Trust God in these matters. He who gives you provisions for today will continue to do so. You see, some people don't give because they're afraid they're never going to have enough. You need to give trusting in God. Don't seek to become rich. Seek to become wise in your financial dealings. Seek also to trust God daily. Well, very well. But in the desert where Israel was going to Mount Sinai, all of their savings were invested in their cattle. And listen, God didn't ask them to slaughter their cattle before they got manna. See, the miracle of manna was to daily rely on the Lord. It was to remind them that nothing was too hard for God and that God's provision would always be enough. It's meant to settle the heart that when God promises something, he'll keep what he has promised. You know, our text in Exodus 16 tells us that when every household measured their daily needs, they were to take an omer, which would be a unit of measure, about two quarts, and it would be the average that a person would need per day. But as they gathered for their needs, there were some who panicked. I mean, what if the miracle doesn't happen tomorrow? What if I hunger tomorrow? What if there's not enough to take me to the promised land? And so in panic, or in their lack of faith in God's promise, they start to hoard. Now we do that when we move from wise oversight of our resources to living in fear and stockpiling. We treat our money not as a blessed resource owned by God to be wisely used according to God's purposes and our own good and to God's glory. Instead, we're motivated by the promises of riches for ourselves. See, some in Israel, you know, look to store up enough for tomorrow, and they deliberately disobey the God who has blessed them today. And so the manna bread worms in the next day. Moses is angry. Can't you trust God? Can't you get yourself to obey very simple instructions? But then there's another lesson to be learned here as well. Trust God enough that on one day of every week, you trust God enough to cease from your labors. When Israel gets to Mount Sinai, God's going to make that especially plain in the Ten Commandments. But let's go to Exodus 16, 21 to 26. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, before we look at the Sabbath principle, would you notice how this was meant to train the nation? When they were slaves in Egypt, no doubt they started the day when the slave masters told them they had to start. But now they're free. They could get up when they wanted. They could take care of their needs anytime they wanted. That's what freedom gives you. Now, if you've ever gone to university, you might understand this. When you were in grade school, you probably had teachers that kept track that you were doing your homework on time. And then when you got to university, no one kept track. If you didn't hand something in or if you didn't study, nobody cared. You were free. It was up to you. But of course, when I was in university, all the people who abused their freedom, they just flunked out. Freedom, if not guided by discipline, leads to ruin. And it must have been that way for Israel. And that's why by the time the sun grew hot, the manna on the desert floor melted. It was gone. You either learned to get up early and go about your work or you went hungry. It was a great system. God was training them how free people need to discipline themselves or their freedom will be short-lived. But there's another side to this story. Free people, once they recognize what hard work can get them, will be tempted to ignore God's commands to lay aside one day every week and rest and worship and recenter their lives to the glory of God. And so every Sabbath, the manna didn't show up. No one was to work on that day. But in order to provide, God made sure that the manna gathered on Friday would not get maggots and stink if they kept it for an extra day. And so not only was the bread of heaven providing for the people, but it was ordering their ethics and balancing their work lives so that they would indeed learn to trust God. We'll talk at greater length about the Sabbath when we get to Exodus 20, but here we're going to see that keeping one day a week as holy unto the Lord also requires faith. You know, I've known farmers who refuse to go onto their fields on the Lord's day. I've known business people who don't open up on that day. It's their statement of faith that God provides and that he'll take care of other things. And they find that God's demands aren't burdensome. They're a blessing. And furthermore, those who keep the Sabbath day holy, remember that if they deprive themselves of work on that day, like the manna, there's always going to be enough. Now to verses 27 to 30. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You know, for some people, obedience is just hard. It feels like oppression to them. You know, if they're told to do things God's way, they don't like it. They don't get the idea that obedience to God, submission to God, calling God our Lord, that this is liberating. God, our creator, knows how we live and function well. But some simply can't get their heads around that. But here in Exodus, God is training the nation. Now to verses 31 to 36. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. 
It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth part of an ephah. Now, if you're wondering where this portion of manna was kept, that is, where was this place of testimony? You know, as one continues to read, one soon finds out. It was placed in the ark, the object that symbolized the presence of God. It was placed into the Holy of Holies. Manna was to remain in the Holy of Holies so that in the future, generations would never forget. Well, never forget what? Well, they were never to forget that which you and I should also remember. Number one, that God holds our lives in his hands. Number two, that God is loving and gracious to his people, and he will give us all that we need. That's his promise to us. Bear it to heart. Number three, did you know that nothing is too hard for God? Even if it seems impossible to us, it's not impossible for God. And number four, The manna reminds us that obeying the commands of God should never be considered scary. No one who ever did it God's way ever found that God didn't care for them. Do it God's way and you will live and you will prosper. Now these truths are the truths of the bread that comes down from heaven. Manna teaches us these things and those lessons are for us today. Thanks so much, John. Let me ask you, how should we understand how God is at work in meeting our daily needs when it doesn't feel that way sometimes? Yeah, I think what's lacking when we fail to feel things is that uh, we're feeling things that, you know, that our own minds are telling us, and so the feelings result because of our worldview. You know, if our worldview was that uh, my strength comes from God, uh, the resources of the earth comes from God, Uh, The job that I have comes from God. The economy that I live in comes from God. Everything comes from God. I think as I'm reminding myself, that is mentally thinking about them, I'm also beginning to feel that which I know to be true. So I, I think, you know, the manna principle tells us that God is constantly providing. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Desert Experience, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Last month, our friends at InDoubt launched the InDoubt Show with host Andrew Marcus, and it hit the ground running. The show kicked off with Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld and included a segment called Dangerous Doctrines, where Dr. John and Andrew confront and unpack, unravel, shed light on some of the crooked theological thinking out there today. The InDoubt Show also recently featured a conversation with a co-creator of one of the most popular current Christian dramatic series, The Chosen. Just a few of the great selection of guests so far and many more to come. So stay tuned for new engaging conversations with Christian experts and leaders ready to speak into the relevant issues of life, faith and culture young adults are facing today. 
The InDoubt Show, online at indoubt.ca or at the InDoubt YouTube channel. And be sure to subscribe so never to miss a new episode.